Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, coming to you direct from New York and retail's big show, NRF 2023. Coming up on this episode. All of the supply chains that you see in retail today were really built to service the stores. And no one had ever built the supply chain or designed one to go to 130 million households in a very efficient way. And so if you think about it, like it takes eight cents to bring a product from China to US, but it takes $8 to ship a package from Pennsylvania to New Jersey. Why do people need to pay tracking for tracking? Why do brands need to pay for tracking to pack their own freaking packages? The market is screwed up. I think you have to be measured in your approach. As I say, I think organizations try to get after the shiny stuff first without necessarily getting the basics right. And I'm of the mindset that let's get, if you don't have the basics and the foundations in place, then the shiny stuff just becomes the hype. So here we are at the start of a frantically busy three days at the Javits Center, New York, for NRF Big Show 2023, where retail leaders and some of the industry's most pioneering vendors discuss, debate, and present key topics that provide a glimpse into what the future of retail might look like. In this episode, we pick our way through some of the highlights from day one at the show. As always, at Retail's Big Show, the focus is on technology, but trends this year are very much focused around productivity and efficiency, as showcased by the growing interest in the benefits of open source supply chains that are increasing speed, efficiency while reducing cost, time and waste, helping to level the playing field for smaller retailers. Sheikha Natarajan, president of Quiet Platforms, a wholly owned subsidiary of American Eagle Outfitters Incorporated, explains. Every retailer, Carl, every retailer you talk to uses a cliche. And it's like right place, right time, right quantity. And everyone is wrong. They start from the wrong place, wrong time, wrong quantities. And it's particularly true in mid-retail businesses, you know? So let me tell you why. All of the supply chains that you see in retail today were really built to service the stores. And no one had ever built the supply chain or designed one to go to 130 million households in a very efficient way. And so if you think about it, like it takes eight cents to bring a product from China to US but it takes $8 to ship a package from Pennsylvania to New Jersey, right? So there's no scale economies, right? And so we said, hey, we gotta fix this problem. And building another distribution center is not the answer to the problem. Because building another distribution center means it's like sitting on my balance sheet. The governor of the state is gonna be very happy that I created like 250,000 jobs. But I'm going into an industrial park surrounded by 16 other people and I'm creating competition for the same labor that they're using. Yes, and furthermore, this is a large distribution center which is only utilized for four weeks in the year. So you put all the capex for $300 million to use it for four weeks. How smart is that? 
And so everyone keeps repeating the same problem. You know, they're building all these like few connections, few DCs, few points on the network. And it's never going to solve the problem of getting closer to the end consumer in a large way and an economic way. That's the point. So we took our limited number of infrastructure and expanded that into many points in the network. So we went from like being in two distribution centers to nine distribution centers. And that created a set of problems that created the problem of what is the right quantity of measure that I put in every of these locations because I, I got to get them. I'm atomizing my inventory. I got to get the right quantities of the atoms in the right place. The second thing is I'm moving atoms versus cases and pallets and trucks. And the economics to move like units versus cartons and cases. So we had to figure out a way to create density on the middle line. And then all of these are against the backdrop that American Eagle sells 200 million units a year while Walmart sells 50 billion units a year. So what Walmart does in a day and a half is what American Eagle does in a year. And what like Amazon does in half a day is what American Eagle does in a year. So who has the scale to do it themselves? So we had to get into a sharing economy model. That's one of the benefits of like going into shared economics. We were able to reduce the number of shipments which were going to the doorstep by 30%. So we went from 1.4 shipments to 1.11 shipments. It's a distributed logistics model based on open and sharing platform. And so bringing all of the retailers together and having them share their assets, be it like trucks and distribution centers, or like containers, or like packages going to the same door, and creating a very interoperable network. That's one problem we're solving. And the second problem we're solving is primarily bringing the soft assets. I'm building integrations for returns. Someone else is building integrations for returns. And everyone is replicating the same problem. And everyone is taking a year, year and a half. So we are also bringing sharing in the soft assets. Collaboration and competitiveness are not at odds. You compete on what makes you different, which is the product, on the marketing. How do I access the customer? You do not compete on supply chains because supply chains are not a competitive advantage. Hyperscale supply chains are. Hyperscale supply chains are. And so hyperscale, you cannot do it yourself. You gotta collaborate, right? And so it's breaking all these pipes that people build for themselves and creating one giant pipe, a giant universal public network. Today, I have like 10 delivery providers hit my day in my, my door, and I have like 13 packages show up at my doorstep. It's, it's, it's a mess. Why do people need to pay tracking for tracking? Why do brands need to pay for tracking to pack their own freaking packages? The market is screwed up. So the, the, the industry, like, like, Everyone is shipping a package to you. So they're laying out a copper line to your house. How stupid it is to basically, like think about it, right? If you had a house, and if you had like 10 water utility providers, all putting like, you know, pipes into your house and trying to access your house. That's what e-commerce feels like today. You know, you, you have no control on the way logistics is delivering to your door. And so, so, what we are fundamentally changing are all these different principles. Like, consolidation is good to your door. 
deconsolidation is not. Fragmentation should not happen to your door. Aggregation should be. It's fundamentally collaborating. Like, you know, like, so why does, why does the China model, China to US model work? And why does basically like the way we are doing last mile doesn't work? If you step back and th think about it, there are three fundamentals that drive it. It's collaboration. You have a consolidators, you have like, you know, a lot of players who are bringing the density before the ship sails. It's one network, it's a shipping network that sails. So, uh, so, and the third thing which is important in this model, so we have the collaboration and consolidation, which gives you a density. The second one is basically like, you know, this one unified network. And the third ingredient is being agnostic of the type of commerce, right? And so those three components together, because a customer buys across channels, across categories, so if you're able to create a public utility, if you're designing and building a public utility, that basically brings that consolidation to the door. That's that one network which brings that. And one pipe to the door, not 50 pipes to the door. It's one package. It's one beautiful experience, right? And so to do that, you need interoperable networks. You need to have any-to-any -any connections. You should be able to discover any like part of the network. And being able to like, you know, pretty much like democratize supply chains and find and like, you know, do transactions with anyone, like marketplace. And that's what like we are building with Quiet. We are doing it quietly, but we want to give peace of mind because I want you to come to me and not have to worry about 50 things to deliver the end consumer experience. It's rare to discover a groundbreaking technological breakthrough, something that disrupts industry and changes it for the better. There are more than a few to be found here in the halls at NRF 2023. And one particular piece of tech was even busy setting a Guinness World Record live here at the event. Munich-based company ProGlove were at the event to showcase its small, light, back-of-the-hand wearable scanners designed to streamline retail fulfillment and logistics. Benning Louis, the company's growth marketing director, explained all. So we see the business potential in the US and North America. That's the reason why we opened up um, office in Chicago in the US. And that's the reason why we are here. Because um, all our other big customers in EMEA told us, hey, you gotta come here. Um, we have so many great warehouses, so many business here. Please join us here in our warehouses. And then we came with the European customers here and then we discovered, wow, this is really the country of any possibility. And it's super light and easy, so you can just clip it in and then you press a button and then it scans and immediately we get some feedback on the back of your hand. So it spares the worker up to six seconds per scan, which is amazing because imagine you are in a warehouse or retail, how many packages do you have? Picture Amazon, picture Ikea. Everyone needs to document that they are picking our stuff. And of course our highlight is uh, we had a Guinness World Record today. So uh, we made a new title. It's the fastest scan and pack of 50 packages. And the original time was 3 minutes 31. And we did it in 2 minutes 41. So I'm super happy about that and um, can't wait to see some footage about this. 
For retailers and brands keen to explore how they can create memorable experiences for customers across every touch point while improving workflows for store planning, design, manufacturing and sales, there are plenty of providers eager to demonstrate what they believe the future of retail will look like. One such company is San Francisco-based Unity, which has created 3D, real-time and metaverse experiences for the likes of Deckers, Dyson and Lululemon. We spoke to the company's client partner, Cole Whalen, to understand why tomorrow is already here. From, from our standpoint, Unity is, is very well known in the gaming space, and we have been for you know well over a decade. Um, at the end of the day, um, over the last you know, five plus years, we've seen a number of um, partners and clients using our underlying technology that was originally built for gaming uh, to be able to help people across the board be able to have a better experience with their product and their customer and really leverage the technology that we had built for gaming uh, to be able to take advantage of that and, and be able to move the space forward. Uh, we're constantly hearing things like digital twin, metaverse, uh, AR, VR, and that's literally what you has been custom built for. So uh, as, as we say, we're, we're helping creators uh, you know, continue to create and, and leverage those technologies. Uh, basically allows uh, brands to do a number of things. Um, could be anything from setting up uh, and, and planning new stores to understand uh, how you can work with your architecture or BIM models, bring those in, uh, as well as being in, in, in view how uh, um, your customers could interact with your store and, and how that looks without actually having to build that in the real world. Um, or it could be even bringing in your product. And this is where we see uh, the most gain is uh, being able to bring in your product, digitize that, uh, and have a better visual experience for your customers, whether that's in e-commerce and having some something like a product configurator on your website, um, or whether that's having uh, a better uh, process for your product teams to develop and create products. And instead of having constant you know, prototypes out there, um, you're able to get the virtual versions into the hands of your um, into the hands of your executives or the decision makers so that they can make better decisions quicker. Um, so really, uh, from end to end, you can use the real-time 3D platform to improve your business. Solving challenges linked to workforce efficiency are at the heart of many discussions taking place within retail organizations right now. We spoke to Tristan Rogers, Chief Strategy Officer at Workforce Management Specialist, Quinex, about how they are helping retailers to optimise their operations and slash labour costs. Hourly workers, very commonplace in retail. Labour laws are becoming more stringent. So that means that we are having to help our customers solve problems like if uh, an hourly worker wants to use their personal mobile device for work, when can they have access to work information and when can't they, according to whether they're on shift or not. So that's something that needed fixing before the pandemic, still needs fixing, and actually probably need fixing even more urgently because there's a lot of volatility in the market. So churn in the staff, staff base has increased. So we need to find quick ways of plugging people into a work environment. They've all got a phone. So how do they quickly get access to the right information, be on shift, be effective in front of the customer? So... It's a bit of a sort of melting pot, actually, where the traditional workforce management focal points of good schedules, good shifts, that's still in place. But now we've got to be able to be agile in terms of what device they're using. We've also got to train them up very quickly. We've got to tell them how to do things. And these are new extensions, really, to the, to the workforce management remit. But they also need to think about quality of service. And I think that's another thing, because the store remit has changed very dramatically. So... 
stores have shut down, stores are more temporary now, so they need to, the, the retailer needs to be agile in terms of a pop-up shop that may be in place for a week or a month. So how do they bring the right quality of staff into that environment for a short space of time? They weren't virtues that workforce management were good at three, four years ago. You have to be good at that now. And then hence why you've got to introduce training and, and learning and tasking. Again, these were things that workforce management were considering pre-pandemic, but I'd argue are essential now. So the return on investment is not necessarily about, I'll save more money on my staff. It's more about, I can make my retail environment more productive quicker. And that becomes quite a complex equation. So I'm not sure it's as simple as people saying, is this going to save me money? Oh, I can see the formula. They're looking for innovation that they know will drive top line revenue because it will create an exciting environment for their customer. Connecting different selling touch points across retail channels remains a challenge for many retailers. One company promising to enable retailers to innovate for success is Fluid. Donna Stevens is the company's Senior Vice President, Product and Marketing Management. When we paid a visit to the Fluid stand, she explained the importance for retailers to consider unified commerce platform solutions. So um, certainly retailers post-pandemic are looking for ways that they can deal with the labor shortages to always in retail deal with more efficient cost profiles, finding ways to do things faster, more effectively on the shop floor so that they can focus on delivering excellent services, excellent products, and build loyalty for their consumers. So what we do is we come in and look at opportunities to um, help them modernize, innovate, around different ways for customers to check out, support new digital payment technologies, um, enable their IT organizations to build best-of-breed ecosystems of technologies all plugged into our open API ecosystem. And that really helps them focus on what's most important for them, which is selling and delighting their consumers. Retailers are overwhelmed with the cost and the time to market to make a change in their ecosystems to bring in a new modern system. So what we do is we meet them where they are and we talk about how we can do things in chunks, manageable chunks, leveraging components that they have, providers that they have and giving them that flexibility, but at the same time focusing on modernizing areas that are going to hit that bottom line cost focus that I talked about. For example, moving to cloud, right? Everybody talks about cloud. It's the new hot thing, but how do you do it the right way so that you're driving those cost efficiencies out day one and not waiting? 18 months, 24 months to be able to see those benefits by partnering with folks like Google um, and looking at architecture and how we use modern architectural principles in our solutions, we're able to help retailers get more efficient cost, higher throughput at scale in a resilient way that gives them that confidence they need that they know they can always be trading. You look at companies like Walmart and Kroger coming out and selling their technology because they know that the store is really, it's a shoppable fulfillment center. It's kind of what it is now, and I think that's where um, where the emphasis is is rising for retailers to look at store systems and solutions that can help them do both. Connect with online and e-com and omni-channel, but also deliver an outstanding experience in the store to bring customers in. Sal Usmani, CTO of footwear brand Fitflop, was one of the speakers taking to the big idea stage here at NRF 2023. 
During the session, he shared insight into how the company is reimagining and re-engineering its merchandising, planning and marketing operations, powered by a layer of connected artificial intelligence across the whole business. I sat down with him to learn more and to explore the new digital opportunities that may lie around the corner. It's a big buzzword at the moment. Everybody's trying to get after it. And I think, as I said earlier, it's important to understand what the business is trying to do to understand how AI can help enhance that uh, strategic direction. Currently where we're at, at the moment is AI can only be good if you have the right data sets to support the AI capability. And I always use the analogy of having data as a foundation in a, in a building or a house or an organization and you know if the foundations are weak then the AI the machine learning the organization will, will struggle so at the moment we're just trying to underpin the foundation in, at Fitflop so we have just devised a very comprehensive data strategy that we're working with a couple of AI partners on and those workshops and uh, initiatives that we're trying to devise are helping us get through understanding how the business operates, how the customer is engaging with our organization, and then it will help influence many other things like operational efficiency, merchandising, marketing, buying, you know, those are the kind of things where I think AI has a huge opportunity. And if, if you can package that all up and just put the customer at the center of everything that we're trying to do, then I think you get the most value out of AI. I think you have to be measured in your approach as I say, I think organizations try to get after the shiny stuff first without necessarily getting the basics right. And I'm of the mindset that let's get, if you don't have the basics and the foundations in place, then the shiny stuff just becomes the hype. You know, I think it's important to be showing progression in a brand. And, you know, progression versus perfection are two very different things. I don't actually think perfection exists per se. I think progression is a better thing to get after. Uh, and I think if you can understand that quickly, then you separate the truth from the hype. You know, we have to ask ourselves questions as what's right for the brand. You know, I don't think Fitflop, the, the kind of consumer that we attract today doesn't necessarily have the digital metaverse in their kind of shopping experience. However, you know, there is a very key strategic direction in the organization where we are trying to appeal to a younger audience you know we are developing a product range which talks to a younger audience and a younger consumer and those consumers shop in a completely different way so when the time is right you know we will look at trying to explore those opportunities but i come back to the original point that i made about getting the basics right and making sure that we can bring transparency and visibility to the shopping experience with apparel retailers facing ever tighter margins, how a retailer builds and manages their data is of increasing importance. While much of the focus is often on customer data, retailers are quickly waking up to the critical role that accurate product data has on both protecting their cost base and being able to deliver the best, most relevant experience to customers. Sarah McVitie, co-founder of Dressipy, explained how AI and machine learning is transforming the future of data-driven retail. Number one thing is the quality of the data, right? So, so building good personalization, particularly in fashion, you need to have really good product data. You need to have, so you need to understand the products as well as you understand the customers. Otherwise, fashion is it's such a it's such a different vertical. So yeah, we're all different sizes and shapes and ethnicities and genders. And so understanding and building and understanding of your propensity, like the fact that you love white shirts and hate white jeans or and building all of that and you need to have good data to be able to do that. So 
I think retailers are only just beginning to understand now that their product data is as important as their customer data. And if one is, yeah, it's garbage in, garbage out. So you've got to get your data house in order first. And I think once that's in order, then I think there is now a better understanding of what machine learning and AI is. And I think with chats, understanding that you need to train it on the domain, I think understanding, so there's a better understanding just internally of what AI means and what it can do for your business. And a better use of data and a better understanding of the customer means that you are far more able to understand what you should produce in what volumes and in what sizes so that you end up with a much higher sell-through rate at full price. It's those sorts of things I think are are beginning to be explored, but you need to have good data on both sides to be able to facilitate that. As the height of the pandemic receded, we saw a gradual return of shoppers to physical stores. But what does the blueprint for success look like as we head into 2023? According to Matt Alexander, founder of department store retail at Neighbourhood Goods, it will mean more than just growth for growth's sake. We caught up with him just after his stage talk to discuss why future of stores will all be about the profound shift in customer spending towards the experiential and how community, stories and transparency are so important within the industry. It's, it's a recognition that we found with a lot of investors, a lot of brands that customer acquisition costs were flying up online, that customer loyalty was really hard to retain in a really crowded market and that physical retail can really help uh, set you apart from the crowd and build a much more profitable business. But it just is very difficult to do. And so we tried to create this approach to bring brands into a space where it feels natural and it feels cohesive and it feels welcoming and it has a very particular sort of uh, warmth to it that we try to cultivate and so I think one of the big things that we've always tried to sort of think about is that you know the reason we have the opportunity to exist is because of the complacency of a lot of uh, larger department stores that fail to keep up with and in lockstep with customer behavior I mean I I don't think it's anything necessarily specific to one retailer or the other I think it's just you look across uh, the show floor at something like NRF like we walked from one end to the next and it took a while right and it's it's all in service of like how do you improve the retail experience but very little of it is actually talking about the product or the location just really sort of fundamental aspects of the retail equation that have been there for hundreds of years right and so we came along with this approach that we sort of respected the tradition of the space, the process of saying no more than you say yes, and trying to bring products and brands together that speak to an audience in a particular area, and to also recognize that you need to give people uh, a certain degree of reason to come back. And, and I think for a lot of retailers, it's become sort of endless different arrays of technology and smart mirrors and increasingly as this sort of capital E experiential retail where people are putting, you know, ball pits and trampolines into stores. And whenever we travel, especially with new people on the team, I often sort of, when we're walking through an airport, I'll say, you know, like, um, why does that person have this backpack and this person has this backpack? And it all comes down to like, who are you and who do you want to be seen as and otherwise? And I think a good retail experience is something that provides that degree of story and context that can sort of translate into a degree of confidence in your personal life where you can say, actually, you know, the founder behind this brand is a really interesting person. You can tell the story. That gives you that extra spring in your step in your day. And I think websites, especially the direct consumer brands of the world, have done a very good job telling those stories. But a lot of retailers 
in this sort of rush to just feature as much as possible in their spaces and to be only in these malls, it's hard to communicate that sort of context in a thoughtful and meaningful way. And so that that's where we try to play. And, and I think it comes down to just the quality and integrity of the products and the people. And I think um, it's, it's, it's trying to create a degree of autonomy uh, for the folks that work in our stores so that they can sort of create a little bit more of that story and that feeling of their own. And, and I think, you know, people talk about authenticity in this industry and it's, it's, it's mostly sort of a nonsense thing. Um, but for us, it's very much about, you know, uh, how do we genuinely allow people to be themselves? And, and that includes the customer. And so it, that will be a never-ending project. And I think the danger is when you walk the floor of a conference like this and you think that you've just found the, the total solution for an indefinite basis. And that is not how retail works because it's not how human nature works. That brings us to the end of this very special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast in association with NRF 2023. In our next episode, we'll once again be coming to you direct from New York to bring you more highlights from retail's big show with more top names in retail talking about the stuff that really excites. Be sure to tune in. But for now, I'm Carl McKeever, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thanks for listening.